time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. Happy, happy, get home safe. Try that again. Happy June to everybody out there. Summer is here unofficially, of course. Just had a great Memorial Day weekend. And, you know, I've always thought of summer as June, July, and August. Whatever the calendar says, June, July, and August, those are the summer months. Here we are. Happy June to everybody out there. And it is a Friday edition of the podcast. So that means that we have a long form interview for you. And I'm really happy about today's interview. We're going to be joined by my good friend, Mike Gashopo, a former minor league baseball umpire who worked in the minor league, started the same year I did, uh, lasted a lot longer than I did, about 10 years, has worked countless uh, minor league championship series in uh, the Northwest League, the South Atlantic League, the California League, Texas League, the Pacific Coast League. Uh, He's from San Diego, a huge Chargers fan, and he's currently a San Diego County Sheriff. So a lot to cover today. Catching up with Mike Gashopo. I haven't talked to him in quite some time. Little text messages here and there. But uh, without further ado, let's bring him on the program. My good friend, Mike Gashopo. Mikey, welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast. What's up, my man? What's up? It's been far too long. We've text messaged, maybe called each other a time or two. But Mike, I got to tell you, we haven't had a chance to really chat in a great, uh, great deal of time. I can't even tell you when the last time I saw you was. Yeah, uh, I think it was at Cal State San Marcos. You were come down here, a little cup of coffee and a little SoCal, you know. And <laughs> I think we went to a bar, you know, just had a couple apps and said hello. I think you had a, another game going on next morning. But, you know, I know that commute up there in Orange County. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was it. You're right. I, it, you, you don't live too far from there. And it's an opportunity to come see you. Yeah, you, you poor guy coming out and watching me work a division two game, or at least a few innings. Anyway, uh, yeah. you must you must have been really bored. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. It was exciting. It's all exciting. <laughs> uh, well, Mike, I see you got your Chargers beanie uh, on there. It, it is rather cold here in Southern California in uh, in June. So yeah, I, I see you working. Yeah, it's always, you know, you just gotta get a little sweat on every now and then. <laughs> oh man well mike we got a lot to talk about today uh your minor league baseball career your uh, pursuit of you know kind of pursuing the dream which uh, not not a lot of people get to do in this life uh but you did you're currently a san diego county sh- uh, sheriff you uh you you're a huge chargers fan as we mentioned so we got to talk some nfl uh you you have an ejection or two uh, stories that we'll get to. We got life on the road. I mean, I don't know where to start. Um, how do, how do we start? Well, I know a lot of our friends from around the country, Mike, uh, were a little concerned about you a few months ago. Let's, let's, uh, let's jump to that right away. Uh, you were a San Diego County Sheriff, as I mentioned, you were working in the jails as you know, the most people start out at, and it was February of 2021, a few months ago where you had a pretty scary situation if, if you're willing to please uh please share what that experience was like because you had us all scared there for a minute my friend 
Yeah, it's uh, it was it was it was quite an eventful day. I remember uh, uh, I was down a report. We had an assault on the day before, and you know, you just you, the, the a lot of what people don't understand is just like any job is the amount of employees that are allowed to work in a general area could be short and you're usually short staffed. This is a very high intense job. And, you know, that day already being down with work, we were doing a search for a shank and another mod and, you know, push come to shove. You got someone to overdose downstairs because these guys are all hyped up on that, you know, hopped up on that Mountain Dew, you know, out there in the world. And, uh, and so you, you're losing bodies here, losing bodies there. Medication can't be passed at certain hours. So they're frustrated and it's just a big frustrated thing. And a lot of people don't understand, but the COVID restrictions that the, you know, the state and the County have to implement for everyone's safety to try to contain it. If these guys were only allowed out for a few hours or for a few, sorry, a few minutes a day. So, I mean, 20 minutes to come out and make a phone call or take a shower, you know, for three months. And, and then canteen got taken away. So, you know, you add to that anger and, you know, there's only one person you can talk to and being a deputy sheriff, you, you're sometimes you're a counselor, you're, you're, I mean, you're your law enforcement and, you know, you're trying, uh, trying to guide these guys not to do anything stupid, but that particular day, it just, you know, we, we walked in, I was, I, I assumed, and I was pretty sure that they were somewhat intoxicated, but being a bouncer for nine years, I've dealt with t- intoxicated people. I, I deal with intoxicated people all the time and they make this jailhouse wine that's called Pruno. Usually just a real quick brief on it. It's fermented fruit that rots out they usually put some jolly ranchers or some grapes just to give it some flavor but you know that's their alcohol thing these guys were souped up on that and you know um there was an i was trying to give them chow at like 10 a.m and they were very confrontational not like to like make me worried but they're just were seemed a little bit odd and then um later you know, they saw an opportunity because they were both going to prison and, you know, it was game on. And my initial thought when I was there was to protect the nurse and try to draw them away. But these doors aren't safe and, you know, they, they can pop them within seconds. So even I wasn't trying to, I mean, I opened that door to pass the food to the trade next, next to me. Because uh, I just gave him meds, and usually with medication, you want some food. So I was just trying to keep the peace and, you know, do a favor and save my partner who might be coming in after me, you know, something like that. And, you know, I took a few shots, but, you know, baseball showed me. I've been run over at home plate. I've been hitting the head a few times with a 98 mile hour fastball. A couple fists and knees aren't too much, aren't too bad. Well, well, Mike, uh, just to kind of help paint a picture for the audience, I mean, you were pretty much escorting a nurse through somewhere there in the jail and a couple guys managed to get through a door, a cell door and basically just attacked you. Right. And, and it was a couple of guys or three or four guys. How many guys were jumping on you and kicking you around? Uh, there was two. It, it, I mean, I opened the door to do a favor because I mean, these are high levels. These are the, these are like the, usually the bad of the bad dudes. 
So you're trying to do whatever you can to, you know, accommodate them. That's what, that's what was in within reason. But yeah, we were going through here and we just finished a mod next door and, you know, open the door and these two guys that are pretty, pretty uh, dangerous dudes, you know, went 10, eight. Yeah. That's, that's, that's scary, man. And, and how long did it take for, uh, other other deputies to get there and and man how long did that take or unfortunately did you i mean did you lose consciousness or anything or do you remember much about it i i remember a little bit as like an initial my initial like thought when it was happening was like what in the f is going on right now <laughs> yeah. i'm just like it's like a twice like i wasn't like really in pain but i mean i'm just sitting here i'm trying to grapple one guy i'm eating these knuckle sandwiches i'm trying to grapple this guy over here and then i'm eating his knee sandwiches and and you know and you're just usually a response time in that in a jail setting depending on staffing and um your uh your control deputy watching you could be anywhere between 10 to 30 seconds. Hmm. That's a long time though in that situation. Yeah. I don't remember. I've, I didn't, haven't really watched the video because uh, um, I don't know. It's just, it's not like I'm scared to watch it. It's just like, it's not, not ready for it yet, Mm -hmm. but uh, deputy Pike just came back from the hospital from that uh, overdose that I talked about earlier. And uh, he came in and he came in like a, I mean, like a football drill between the, like the five tables, like, whoop, 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 whoop. and then, then just Superman in the cell and knocked these dudes down and had no, uh, had no, had no care, or didn't care anything about his body, just threw it in there like you should when you need to respond in a situation like that. So, so I got to ask, you know, these two guys who were in there and, and, you know, were uh, pretty bad dudes, as you said, and as they showed, can they, even though they're in jail, can they still be somewhat, I uh, know another term, prosecuted, or can they get a worse sentence based off of this type of action that they that they um, threw threw your way? Uh, yeah, they can. Um, um we, they, the initial uh, charge on it was a attempted murder, but I mean, you have to a lot of factors and into that, and that's a legal side that I only know us. Uh, show that's why there's attorneys and all that and lawyers but uh yeah you can but you know a lot of people who get beat up in there don't want to prosecute because that's that label of being a snitch you know even even for a deputy that's well, a de- deputy's 100 percent because me not saying anything gives these eyes opportunities to go back to the streets and do crime just to, to a citizen so if i can fight and survive and keep these guys behind bars you know, that's, that makes us all safer. So what, what has come about from this incident in regards to those guys? Um, I know they're not on the street, I'm sure, but like, did, did you press charges or how did that, what, what was the aftermath of all that? Well, since it's a crime against me, I can't really uh, be involved in writing the case because it's, if you think about it as a lawyer's terms, if I write a report on an assault on myself, they can do a lot of things to neglect it, like because of emotion and, mm. you know, because, but one of my uh, partners wrote a really, really good report and uh, we'll just have to wait. We should be going to pre-arrangement here in a few weeks, if not in July. Mm. So I, there's not, there's not a, there's not a, a 
answer or result yet to it, but they will get some extra time for it. Okay. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's good to hear. And, and Mike, it's good to talk to you after hearing that ordeal because I uh, I saw the photos, man. I'm sure photos that you um, are tough to look at, especially for your your family and your wife and everything. And so um, I sent those photos and that news that news clipping to a few of our colleagues in professional baseball. Some guys who are still working and guys who kind of came up with us. And so many of them were troubled and. I said, I don't have any other information except this article. And um, what were your injuries sustained from that situation? Uh, just a few stitches above the eye, believe it or not. Wow. It was nice. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's it, it, guys like us who have been through that, that, that journey like we've had and you, you've done it. And, you know, our partners just, we have that state of survival, mm-hmm. you know, and your, your body and your body and your mind is just put in that different aspect and you just, you know, very easy to brush things off a little bit. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I've been in baseball situations plenty, but, but nothing like that, Mike, I mean, God bless you and, and the deputies in there who acted quickly uh, to, to help you out there. And I mean, uh, that had to be tough, tough for the family to experience. I mean, was there any pushback from them or anything or just concern we'll say about, Hey, maybe, this isn't the best job or maybe we should think uh, our future here? Uh, well, you know, and we'll get to it later when we talk about the umpiring career, but uh, yeah, I mean, you have to really take a step back, but I mean, when you, when you, when you sign up for a job like this and you know this, even, even not being involved is just like sometimes when you cook in the kitchen, you're going to get burned. Mm. And, you know, it makes you better, makes you enjoy life more. And, you know, and, you know, you, you're, you, 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 it, the, the support that I got, the support that was immediately just poured into like within hours is just, it's, it was overwhelming. I, there was nights where I was just like, this is, this is nuts. You almost have to turn the phone off, but you know, it, it it's it, the support, whether it's my post colleagues from baseball and, other law enforcement across the country. I mean, I'm getting cards I don't even know from, and it's just amazing people. It makes you, it makes you realize how great it is. And that's why you still strap the boots on the next day. Oh man. Well, God bless you, man. Uh, you, you're doing great work. And that's uh, so encouraging to hear. I mean, that's got to motivate everybody out there hearing that who thinks maybe they've had a tough day uh, when, when situations like that happen. So I found out Mike in mid April, and I was furious that it took so long for me to find out. I was like, what? My buddy Mike is, you know, took took these shots. And so I started spreading the word. I reached out to you and you responded right away. And I was like, oh my goodness, thank you. Because uh, I didn't realize that it had been two months prior. I, I panicked and didn't see the date on the newspaper. But uh, no, man, I'm glad, um, you know what, you're through the ordeal and back to work, right? Back at it. Yeah, it took, uh, the, I was... I was back to work that Friday. So the incident happened on Saturday and, and I came back into work on Friday and, and, uh, you know, it was, it was great. Wow. Strapping the gear back on. That sounds familiar, man. Yeah. What, what, what a guy, Mike. Okay. Well, uh, we'll talk about yeah, a few different things here. We'll get back to maybe law enforcement and, and, and everything, but we got to talk about professional baseball, Mike. And, you know, 
that's where we met. As a matter of fact, um, we met in 2009 when we started umpiring together. You went to a different school than me. But fun fact, we worked the final game of the 2009 season out in the Gulf Coast League, also known as the Gulf Rose League. I, I, remember, I remember that day to a T because I was working the plate because yep. I was the guy on the block. And I remember you coming in on a pivot and you pivoted so well that the water off the top of your hat came off like the Niagara Falls. <laughs> and, 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 and if you remember, that was the last for the navies. That was the last Navy. That was the last Navy year. That's right. The next year we went to the, uh, the black shirts with the minor league logo, similar to the yeah. big league uniform, but yeah. ECL hat in the garage and the Navy shirt, because I'm going to tell you something. If you can go out there at a 10 o'clock game in the Gulf Roast and survive. <laughs> August 31st. Yes. Yes. If you can survive, you're, you, you are something. You're as, a hur- as a hurricane is a few days away. And, and you yeah. know, I, that's what I tell guys. Like, the, first of all, rookie ball. You got Arizona League where guys work in Phoenix. They're, you know, they work night games now, but it's still 115 degrees. Uh, in, in Florida, we got all day games. and It's humid. Different kind of heat than I've ever been around. And you're right, man. That waterfall of sweat just falls off your uh, your the bill of your cap, and it's uh, it's no joke. So a fun memory. I think right after that, we uh, we suited up and went to the airport, and I have a great picture of you and me, Gavin Hanson, Jeremy Riggs, who's up uh, working some big league games now, and then Roberto Ortiz, who's a big league umpire. Uh, yeah. The the five of us at the airport after our first year. One of my favorite memories. Yeah, favorite photos, I should say. Um, but anyway, let's go, let's start about shit. Let, you know what? Let's go back to the beginning of umpiring for you. When did you get your umpire start and, uh, and take me through the process into where you eventually wanted to pursue this crazy dream of being a professional umpire? Well, it was, uh, 1996 and, and, uh, they were, they didn't have an umpire and, you know, you pulled on one of those, uh, balloon vests <laughs> you're pulled out of the stands and you know and then and then you're working a game and you're making 33 bucks an hour or a game and and then in the, in the mid 90s that was something dude for what an 11 12 year old 10 year old yeah yeah dollars are you kidding me that's like oh that's, yeah. man live it up i was just like sold got yeah. me <laughs> american right cash yeah got it but uh yeah so is that and then i had a good i mean i had a great mentor group of little league umpires at the time little league was really big at that time and and it still is today but not like it was then that was the way to everyone want to go to williamsport because that was the show and they uh, i mean i had a guy who still who still runs the uh, san bernardino uh tournament up there and and his name's uh, Mark Bernstein, and uh, he's he was he's just a great he's a he was one of my second fathers, and you know and and I just got better and better and better, and then when it got time to in little league, it was just like oh well, Mike, let's 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 try to expand your horizon, and I did high school for about a season, and I was like yeah you know it's just it, let's let's take it to the next horizon and. And then, then you hear like, oh, Joe West, he makes like a half a million a year. I was like, well, shoot. I mean, that's a that's great. Easy. Yeah, let me, yeah, let me sign right up and make half a million yeah. dollars. No big, no big deal. 
but yeah, then you do that. And then, you know, I did a little bit of college. What I, the only, the, see, now, now I'm gonna get on a little tyrant here, but I mean, you know this cause you've been officiating for freaking decades, but every rule book's a little bit different mm. and it's ridiculous. Right. I mean, you sit there and you're just like, I mean, I was a professional umpire. I failed a high school test cause I don't <laughs> understand the, 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 the damn rule book. Yeah. And, and, uh, so, you know, and then everyone's like, well, you gotta go, gotta go on umpire school. And I, and I reached out to, uh, reached out to Mr. Winters, Mike Winters, big league umpire. And he said, you know, get it. Was, get, was he a San Diego guy? Yeah. He's a San okay. Diego guy. Uh, yeah, I reached out to him at a young age and, and, uh, I was just like, what do you, what do you do at 20 years old? And he's all, gotta have a backup plan. So, you know, I went to college, I got a couple associates, did some collegiate wrestling and, you know, got the money. I was, I think I was 22 and I went to umpire school in 2008. Wow. Just like yeah. that. And now, now did you play baseball in high school? I played it, but there was a time where my father uh, just pulled me aside and said, listen, you're good at baseball, but umpiring is going to take you a little bit further than baseball and this is coming after playing football and wrestling so you know your body's on that wobbler even 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 at 18 your body's still on a wobbler after all the beating it took but oh yeah you know. well, well mike you and i are built uh, I'm, I'm a lot heavier than you but you and i are built similar you know short stocky guys and yeah. uh you know you i mean you you when you went in umpire you you lost a bunch of weight got all chiseled and i never quite did but uh yeah so you kind of that wrestler body, as you mentioned, I mean, wrestling in, in college a little bit was, what was your favorite of the sports you played football, baseball, or wrestling? Oh, football hands down. There's the, I mean, wrestling is fantastic because it's just an arena of just one-on-one your hard work, your hard work ethic goes against that guy. And, but football, I mean, football is just a different language. It goes top to bottom, whether you're in the booth, like, Tony Romo or you're the freaking cowboy on the side. It's, it's just, it's, that's just the, the football itself. If you look, if you just enjoy it as a fan or if you played and it's just, I mean, it speaks wonders. Forget about all the, the, the crap on politics and all that crap. But when it comes down to it, it's just fantastic. I agree, man. Of all the things I've done, um, I love football. I love watching it. I love, I loved officiating it. I loved coaching it. Uh, I just, I don't know. It's, it's a different animal. It, it is, uh, it's special. It teaches so many lessons. You get lessons from every sport, but football is the ultimate team game. Life lessons. It's got all these analogies. So yeah, I'm right there with you. So because of that, was baseball the only sport? I mean, you had wrestling experience too. Was there any? thought to officiate other sports besides baseball i i mean i was a i was a pure breed when it came to umpiring i mean i did some like on the side because the money was so good i i officiated like flag football like adult leads like anything i played in if i was if i could officiate it i probably would just because the money was good on the side because you all know like when baseball season's over you're basically jobless you got to find that job. You got to find that. I mean, I've probably, I've probably held about every job you can in the off season, but you know how difficult it can be. Oh yeah. Uh, well, so you get, you get, uh, your dad, 
you know, gives you the wisdom, hey, you should really think about focusing on umpiring, go to college, you're umpiring different levels. And at 22 years old, you decide, all right, I'm going to go to umpire school. I'm going to give it my shot. And for all of us who've gone, you think you have an idea what you're getting into, but I would say the second you get off the plane, it hits you. You're like, whoa, what am I getting getting into? Because I don't have any idea about any of this stuff. So what was the experience like for you at 22? Well, it was good. It's like, well, you know, you come in there and, and it, I mean, if you remember, um, golly, Brian Sinclair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish I would have known this earlier, but I mean, I already had it in my genes, but like everyone should hear about this with anything, but he had the two H's stay humble, stay hungry. I love it. And, and, you know, it's just, you got to stay humble because you got all these guys that it's kind of like, I mean, that first like impression with a bunch of umpires and you know, this is like, it's kind of like a bunch of gossip girls in high school. <laughs> they'll, ju- they'll judge you with what you're wearing. They judge you how you talk. They judge you how you look. They judge you on your hair. So it's just like that first thing you just, you're so overwhelmed. Like, okay, well this guy thinks he's that good. And that guy thinks he's that good. He'll talk your ear off. And, and it's just like, what are we doing? I said, this <laughs> Well, well, Mike, that's the thing. Like you were from San Diego, uh, you know, I'm from an LA area. Like that's, that's two like cities or counties. Like this country's huge. So you got guys who show up at umpire school from all over the country, not just that, but the world guys in Canada, from Canada, Venezuela, Japan. I mean, 150 average students show up and everybody dissects each other and you have to stand out in a good way, not in a bad way. And so, everything you do is dissected. Stay hungry, stay humble. I love that because yeah, um, you know, you got to dress accordingly, maybe overdress a little bit, how you talk, everything matters because people figure, figure you out really quick, whether that's good or bad, they do. So, I mean, tell, tell me more about your experience from that initial shock of, man, this is, this is a lot different than maybe I thought it was. Oh, it's you could see, you could see like, the professionalism that was going to come in with the career, you know, I mean, you you think about this when we were in it, everything you did, everything you, everywhere you went, it, it, it had a swagger to it. If that's a proper term to use and there's just a swagger to it. And, you know, it, I wouldn't say like, I felt like I was prepared, but you also got to remember to stay humble because I mean, at 22, at 22, I've already had 11 years of umpiring under my belt. Well, it was all little league, but it doesn't, I mean, but I've been, I've been moving around, you know, you have this two man mechanic, this is the way it's going to be taught, but you have to understand that sometimes having habits can be bad habits. Yeah. That's the thing. There's guys there who've never umpired a pitch in their life. They played college baseball and they're like, I'll give this a shot. And there's guys who's umpired for 10 years. And so that, that balance of good habits versus no habit or bad habits, excuse me, versus no habits uh, is definitely something that was interesting because they kind of train you from the ground up. They train everybody. Uh, what's the first thing we do? Here's how you put on your mask with your hat on forward, holding your indicator. Like it, it's something so basic that you can't do anything else until you master that, which is in all of my experiences, going to college, job training, all these different things. For me, umpire school was the absolute best training, teaching 
experience I've ever been through because it was the structure. It was, we got to learn this. We can't move on until this is mastered. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're, you're, you're at umpire school and you went to Harry Wendelstadt uh, down there in Daytona. So uh, it was, I went up to Jim Evans in um, the Orlando area, Kissimmee to be exact. And, you know, my first time to Florida, really, I don't know about you. Um, you know, you, you go to school, umpire school, six days a week, you get Sundays off and um, you know, you like to think you have a good feel of what's going on, but it's a long five weeks, man. And there's distractions, you know, off the field, let's be honest. Some guys fall into, into that. And I know I was all business just trying to get these tests done. Right. And, and, you know, the, all the testing and questions we had. So what for you were some of the biggest challenges of umpire school? It, I was, I would say I was a little too uptight, too, too driven, kind of like the same boat as you, but I wouldn't go out as much. And, you know, I was trying to stick to not enjoying it. So if I go back and redo it, I'd do it the same way. Just enjoy it a little bit more and like, and get that stress relief. So, so Mike, for me, when I went, um, I, I like the idea maybe of getting into professional baseball it was like, I, I just figured let's go and try to get some experience and maybe come back and be able to work college baseball. Then I got there and a few days in, I was like, wait a minute, I can do this. I, I can, I can compete for a spot in professional baseball. Uh, for you, did you go there with the absolute determination that you wanted to be a minor league uh, baseball umpire and kind of, what was that like when you were told that you were going to get a shot to actually do that? It was, I mean, I mean, I had to go twice. So that first year I was overweight and um, <clears throat> I remember it to this day. It was Harry Wendelstadt and Paul Nart were my end of the Academy evaluators. And there's like, that's what stuck to me and, and it got me motivated. Well, first let me take a few steps back. I was so I initially was in a room and got kicked out of it because I was probably uh, what's that? I was profiled as the guy that wasn't going to make it right off the bat by these two individuals. So I got partnered or roomed with a guy named Tim Tim Inman, who I still talk to to this day, and and uh, he was from North Carolina, big Duke fan, go Blue Devils. <laughs> um, um, he got me. He got me back in the gym. And, uh, once I, then I, then I get to the end of that and I thought I had a great camp, that, that great thing. And, and, uh, Harry Wendell stat when he was alive and Paul Nort said, you have a lot of talent, talent. You're just overweight, which was great. Cause it was honest. I can understand that. And, you know, I went back, I was a little, I was a little devastated, but, um, you know, dropped weight and then got married and in 2008 in August and then uh went back in 09 got all the wedding money wife sent me back to umpire school so then I redid the journey had a had a had a more pursuit of what was done it was all it was even more business and you know you said yeah we're gonna give you an opportunity to go to Peabuck so were you, you were dating your wife at the time you went to umpire school. Uh, yeah. how, I always wonder this cause I was single when I went, a lot of guys are single going through this. I'm always intrigued at relationships and 
how, how you tell someone you're dating or planning to marry or whatever the case is, hey, here's my goal. Here's what I want to do. I want to leave you for five weeks and pursue something that's going to take me away from you for half the year. Uh, how do you feel about that? Are you still supportive? Do you love me? I mean, what, what was that exchange like? Well, it's, it was kind of, I, I kind of feel like an a-hole about it now, but I was kind of, <laughs> I was like, take it or leave it. Cause oh. I mean, yeah, I was all, this is what it is. I will support and love you, but this is what I, I mean, this, this, this ship was already sailing. You parachuted in and you know, this is the end result. This is what we're going to do. This is what could happen but I have to give this one more shot and we know we can go from there, but it's, she's supportive. Thank God she's independent, but you know, it's probably why we're still married today. Yeah. Oh, she's a, she's a wonderful lady. And, and that's, that's fantastic, man. Uh, Cause yeah, you, you can't pursue something like that while in a relationship where somebody has only one foot in, they got to go all the way in. And I'm sure that having that support is something that, uh, it helps encourage you, helps really, you know, push you through some of the, the tough times. So uh, that's, that's really fascinating to hear. Uh, you get the call, you go to P-Buck um, and that was 09, right? So that was our year. We go to 09 and we ran into kind of a, a snafu, a, a weird situation that that year, typically there's like 20, 25 openings in minor league baseball. Well, there was only nine at the time in March. And so we had a pretty deep class, Mike, 50 plus people are there for, for P buck. And uh, I remember it, it was 55 to be exact 55 and there's nine spots. Nine and we're spot. like, well, we've come all yeah. this way. We put five yeah. weeks in there. And now, so now what happens there is you get some instruction, but you basically work games in front of the, all of the evaluators. They put a giant number on your back. So you know what number, you know, can identify you. And then they rank guys one through 55 at the end of the two week course, they call you in. Hey, Mike, Hey, Matt, uh, we have a spot for you in professional baseball or uh, which is something you and I did. We got sent to the coastal plan league, which was a college summer league. We weren't hired yet, but it was like a chance to go work college summer games while we're in the waiting for that phone call. Well, let me stop you right there. You got the call. I got put on a reserve list and sent back to San Diego. Oh, you were after? Okay, so you were behind that. Okay, so there were nine guys hired, and then how many CPL umpires? Ten? Something like that. Ten guys. And and then um, after that, yeah, then everyone else was reserve listed. It was like, hey, you're not, we don't have a spot for you yet. Wait by your phone, right? And uh, we'll see you back at P-Buck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next year. <laughs> That's so funny. But so anyway, regardless of what happened, that was in March. By June, by, by the summer, um, there had been moves. Some of the guys who had been selected to go to the college summer league, they got bumped into minor league baseball. They were starting a rookie ball. Um, CPL in late, or actually for me, it was May. I start this college summer league in North, South Carolina, and Virginia. And I'm like, what is this? This is like preparation. This is a step to get to where we want to be. And then I was fortunate right before the rookie league season started that me, Chris Gonzalez, and Jeremy Riggs got a call to go down to Florida and be an affiliated baseball uh, 
the, the day the season started. So we didn't miss any time. We were just like those guys that got hired right out of P-Buck. But for you, you went, what, later in the summer to the CPL? I think, I, I think when Hobart, because Hobart was there, Hobart got bumped to Gulf Coast, I think, or somewhere. I maybe went to Arizona. Either or, I took his spot because I remember it. So yeah. Hobart, the big league umpire now. <laughs> big league, yeah. <laughs> so once, once he once he got promoted, I came in and took his spot in the uh, – I don't know if I went there at the beginning. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's possible. But I, I might have been there when it started. That's CPL. That CPL was something, man. You travel every day, no series, just every day traveling somewhere, uh, two-man. They give you food vouchers, right? No no, no food money, vouchers for here's what you Yeah, a lot, a lot of trips to Denny's, a lot of trips to Denny's. <laughs> Our, our huddle house or huddle house. I think we were making like what 1500 for the, for the month and plus food vouchers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I, I don't, and we didn't have rentals. So I think someone had to drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and on top of that, if you remember, that was like the start of the low profile mask. So you got this mask and this eight stitch hat coming mm. out of, cause that's all they had. A gray hat, a gray yeah. hat. Oh, okay. those things are epic. I still got it. I think so many guys were so happy to get out of that league and yeah. it, because they were starting professional baseball, then we got to pro ball and it was like, Oh, this isn't too much different. These are just fancy well, names on the jerseys, but. Well, well, if you remember, some of them had a freaking outhouse that you had to change into. <laughs> I, think it was, I don't know if, if you ever worked in, uh, well, Gastonia has just like a stall, small, like uh janitor's closet, but I can't think of the, uh, 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 the hoppers or something. The guy who came out on a, on a motorcycle, it's Copperhead. I can't remember that, but they had oh, yeah. they had a specialized like camper for you to change in. The camp. <laughs> I think that was my first game, and we forgot yeah. the mud, so we had to go outside, and all the baseballs were orange, like Ash- Ashboro, Ashboro, Asheville. No, no Asheville's affiliated. Uh, Ashboro's right. Ashboro's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that place. That was where it was at. Yeah, and then, I mean, we changed at a firehouse across the street from the stadium. We changed at a uh, there. There was I swear they drove us through a cemetery. There's a building by the cemetery that we changed. Was, I, remember, I remember that place. I can't think of the name of it. I think it was like the Owls or Forest something. City. Forest City. There it is. That's the one. Yeah. Oh man. Oh my goodness. Driving back across the cemetery at midnight. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. And then there was another spot. Our hotel was like across the street. They came and got us in like these like adjoining rooms. Oh, somewhere, somewhere an E. Golf cart, Evanston. No. Yeah, I don't. E- Edenton. Edenton. Yes, I think you're right. Yes. Those were the best rooms in the league, though. They were because you were right. You know, you didn't have to get dressed till you know right, you're right there. And I remember watching the Lakers in the championship or something you, like that. Do you remember Wilson? Wilson Tobbs. Yeah. The the bread we got to stay at a bed and breakfast. I mean, how do people say they didn't have bed and breakfast? <laughs> Two dudes staying at a bed and breakfast. Yeah, not suspicious at all. And nope. uh, <laughs> they're like, I remember after a few days, they're like, "Hey, you guys, you guys never come down for breakfast." We're like, "Well, we we aren't part of the game late. We may do a few things yeah. late at night. We stay out a little bit. Yeah, we're not really breakfast guys, but." Like, okay, if it's a bed and breakfast, we're going to come down there and have some quiche. You just have to, right? And then, yeah, and then you have a baseball field with a bunch of wires that are in the plane. <laughs> so this this hits it hits this wire, it's dead, but it hits this wire, it's played as it, as it lies. 
the road to professional baseball, man, is uh, is something else. So, Mike, what was it like when you you finally got the call? Do you remember where you were, or just kind of take me through the the thoughts that went through your mind as you got the call saying, "Hey, uh, you are hired. Um, here's where you need to go next." Well, uh, let's see. I I worked a a playoff game for CPL, and then they sent me home. And then I was like, all right. And I went back to work. I was working two jobs. I think I was work. No, I think I got rid of one, but I was working at Papa John still as assistant manager there. And then, um, the best, I think it was August 8th or something was the deadline for, uh, if you didn't get a call then you had to go back to P buck. So, you know, that was devastating because you just left go to the CPL hoping they get hired before the season's over and you're back, you know, and I remember it, it was, I think it was like August 15th or August 16th. I think it was August 15th. You got that wonderful Lillian Patterson phone call at like six in the morning. And, and she's just like, would you like a job in uh, professional baseball? And I was like, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole point, but I love you. She's like, well, okay, I need you on a flight. I'm like, well, I mean, I had to say, well, I have to, I had to open that store and it's not fair to the company that if I just bailed it, you know, before 10 o'clock, that's not enough notice. I was like, can I be the first flight out the next day? I'll work the, I'll work as soon as I get there. And she said, yeah, that's fine. And then, you know, that was fantastic. I remember, I think my first game was, August 18th at uh, Jupiter Cardinals and Astros Jupiter. with Roberto Ortiz. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. You joined up with our crew. It, it, it was uh, five guys and um, we had lost uh, who had Blake, the uh, Blake filter had moved on. Um, Gus Curtis had moved on. And yeah. so uh, to get promoted. And so you came in and, we finished out the last couple of weeks. There was a uh, news of a hurricane coming in soon. And we were just like, are we going to finish these games? And you know, us yeah. there's, there's you and I, Mike, who live less than a, probably a hundred miles apart uh, in Cal- Southern California, working a baseball game in, in the Orlando area. We'll say uh, the last game of a season in the Gulf coast league. And uh, I got to yeah. tell you for, for rookie ball, man, that is a grind. Some guys only do it a few weeks, but man, doing a whole season out there is is something else, but I couldn't think of a better way to wrap up my first year in pro ball, Mike, than with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was, it was, it was fun. I was, I thought we were going to die that day, but it was <laughs> I, I learned, I, I've never been so hot behind like working yeah. home late than that day. Well, I'll tell you what, after that stuff, like that, that year, those couple of games at the end there, like, I don't complain about the heat anymore. Like I hear people complain. I'm like, you guys have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. What it. They really don't. You gotta, they you gotta toughen up. Oh boy. Well, well, awesome stuff, Mike. Uh, the next season, you and I actually worked in the same league together, the Northwest league. We didn't yep. work together uh, until the very end. We, we actually were assigned to work the Northwest league championship se- uh, series, Chris Gonzalez, uh, Mike Terry, and, and us two. And that was a lot of fun, man, because you work all season, you and another guy. And then at the very end, you get to work with three other guys. So it's like you work at four man, and you just feel like, okay, this is, this is what we work so hard for and to work some big games. And um, the Northwest league season for me was kind of when I really felt like 
All right, here we go. Here we go. This is minor league baseball. Let's get this thing going. Yeah, if if you remember, so I worked a lot of with fillings that year because my partner got. So I was. I think I started off with. Oh gosh, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna escape me who I was with, but I think he left or I don't know. But my other partner got a concussion that season. Because I mean, we went to we went and did ex- extended spring training in Arizona. That was. I mean, went. Yeah, that, that was real fun. We had a lot. Of, we had a lot of fun on the golf course. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was with a lot of fillings. So that that was a, it. Was a grind. That season was a grind because you got a lot of these guys who are living their life, but you're trying to start it. Mm. You know, yeah. and might not might not know the two man manuals as well as we thought we did at that time, but. You live and learn, man. I mean, you, yeah. you, you learn through experience, I think for sure. Um, the, the, the next year, you know, I went to the Midwest league, you went to the South Atlantic league, but uh, Mike, I think I wrote down here, every league you worked a full season in anyway, uh, the Northwest league, the South Atlantic league, the California league, the Texas league, which is double a and the Pacific coast league, which is triple a uh, you were selected to work the championship series uh, amongst some other peers as well. But I mean, what did that mean for you to kind of be selected five times uh, working uh, in minor league baseball championship series? I mean, that's got to be nice, right? Anytime you can earn yourself a ring at the end of the season. Yeah, it's it's an honor. But, you know, I was always I was always blessed to work with good guys. So you were able to just be yourself out there. And, and uh, you know, it's just it's it's when, when you when you've had that when you've had that path that wasn't as smooth as others or that, that uh, golden child kind of pushed through the, the system. It's just, it's every time you get there, it's just like a refuel a gas tank to yeah. go into the off season and get ready for the next season. Well, 10 years of professional baseball, Mike, uh, what, what are some funny memories you had? Maybe, for, maybe from some, some uh, long night drives or, uh, maybe an on-field situation, uh, anything. What What are some of the first memories that pop into your head when you look back on your minor league baseball career? Well, uh, let's see. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember, I remember my first ever ejection, which I want to say was in Yakima, but I could be wrong. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he <laughs> – he used the phrase like Mickey, Mickey, Mickey fucking mouse <laughs> knew that it was a hit and run. It was a catcher's interference ended up like getting two guys. I think it was me and Boswick. That's who was my partner. I was with Boswick for a half a minute, but uh, yeah, so that was fun. Um, I got ran over. I got run over at home plate in Nashville. I remember that Ooh. During, during the evaluation game. Did you, did you jump up and make the, make the call? No, I got, I got, I got rocked on that one. I was, uh, it was a three man mechanics, uh, R three only. So you, so home plate guy, I think, uh, trying to think, well, what the heck happened on this play? Maybe it was first and third. I think it was first and third, either or third base guy wasn't there. So I had the, uh, I had the fly ball, the tag and the plate plate. Right. Yeah. So 
uh, and the ball came offline and I went with my catcher and he just didn't slide and just ran straight through me. If he, if he slid, it would have been a different story, but he was definitely safe. Uh, I got a couple cuts on the head. <laughs> I, I was down there for a minute, mainly just to collect my thoughts because my pride was gone. But <laughs> and if you haven't, if you haven't laid on the ground as an umpire yet, uh, then you don't know. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, I mean, you're right. Yeah, and uh, oh, let's see what else. Same the same season, I was one of my. It was Eric Young Jr. in uh, Colorado Springs. And I remember Will Meadowbrooks was playing third. And there's a little blooper. There's R1 only. is like the top of the eighth. And a little blooper down the line. And you got like three feet of foul territory. And it's a day game. And I'm running up the line. Got in position. I'm at third base. And he touched the ball and fair i'm holding the ball fair he falls over the fence right and everyone's running and he cops back over the fence and the ball was like on the fair foul line and i'm like and i I look at myself i'm like how the hell am i gonna get myself out of this one you know because i couldn't see and you see a ball go in the glove and you got third, you're looking through a third baseman's legs. You know how you just got to maneuver around bodies. Yeah. And, and we ended up like, I ended up calling a ground level double and we ended up not having to eject anybody. And it, it that, that wow. was, I, and, and it has like, I got ran over. I was getting evaluated. I was getting evaluated that game too. He's just like, Oh, well, this is it boys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny how the game knows the game knows when there's evaluators there. Uh, watching us where crazy stuff happens. I mean, but at the same time, that's your time to shine. You know, you yeah. want, you want to be seen. It's a weird feeling because some guys shrivel up. Oh my God, there's somebody here watching me. What am I going to do? And it's like, you just do what you do every single night, all 140 yeah. games. Don't change anything because what's the point of that? You know, uh, Mike, you get to your final season at triple a, um, you worked some spring training, big league spring training, I should say, uh, the whole month. And uh, it was cool seeing you up there wearing the big league uniform. Uh, one of the first games I saw you work, you actually ejected Mike Sosha, the manager of the Angels at the time. So I remember seeing that and going, I can't wait to talk to Mike about that. What was said? I mean, you got two Mikes out there, two Italians. Uh, going at it. I mean, tell me, t- take the audience through what that uh, that whole situation was. Well, it's a Saturday, beautiful day in Tempe, Arizona, <laughs> and the previous the previous inning, uh, Carlos Gomez was catching for him. Pitches spring training, so it was one of the catchers. Not probably not the main starter, but he backdoored third base, but caught a curveball up high, so never let it come down because he was trying to snap throw it. And I balled it, and Sosha popped off then. Lo and behold, it's still the third inning. Okay, I think it was the third inning. What It doesn't really matter. Anyway, so then the fall, the very next inning, I called that pitch on Maven, where we could all argue maybe maybe it was down, maybe it was caught poorly, but I still had, hadn't break the bottom hall over the knee, you know. And uh, 
he pop off is all balls down, not a strike, and then that's and it's, it's just you know how it is as an umpire. So you're not gonna go back to back innings of crap, and you're not gonna argue from the seats outside of the dugout. Yeah, there's a so, protocol. There's a protocol yeah. procedure how you know things yeah. are supposed to that's be. That's a that's a courtesy. At least go in the dugout and snipe me, yeah. not from the not from the thing. Because I, I can tell you an old school uh, old school story before I continue this, but I remember, I remember a guy, you might know him, told me about a, a argument because an umpire wouldn't come to him. He said, you tell your partner he's gutless. <laughs> you tell your partner he is gutless. <laughs> Little CPL stories, man. I got it. The guy comes up with a glove full of dirt and you call strike three on him. <laughs> that was that was the guy that's with uh Martinsville, right? Was it no. Martinsville? Columbia? Maybe. South Carolina, yeah. Oh man, oh, that guy was funny. That guy was <laughs> But but anyways, so I just said ball's not down. And then he's like, and I was all and I was like, and I just called him out. I, I looked over there and you know how you, you know when the umpire turns the head over there that it's not gonna be good. Yeah. And I was like, Mike, knock it off. He didn't like that. And then he came over and was like, I didn't say that. And I'm all, that's fine. I don't want to hear it anymore. It's too early in the game. You know, it's, we don't need to do this. So I'm going to let you go back and sit down then. I don't think he liked that either. So I tried to walk away. And then, you know, he wanted to come continue arguing about balls and strikes, which is too big no no. So I said, okay. Hit if the I shower. If I remember, I think didn't you have your back? To, you were trying to walk away. Yeah. And he sniped you, and you were you flipped you flipped around and were like, "What?" And then you 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 ejected him. Like, I mean, it, it all made sense to me watching it. But you know, what I I'll finish your story, and then I have a few comments. No, I just I just I tried to walk away from it because obviously he didn't say it, which I know he did. But you know, when two <laughs> Italian when there's two Italians get together and the hands start moving, so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I, I get so fed up with the, the constant phrases you hear broadcasters say with ejections and fans too, but it's like, I cannot stand. There's a few, I can't stand. Why is he looking over there? Well, he's looking over there because someone is yelling at him or calling out his name. Well, how can he hear that? He can clearly hear it and they clearly know he can hear it because they're saying it. Why would they say it if he couldn't hear it? I've never in the history of the world heard of anybody saying something out loud they did not want heard, right? Maybe you mutter something under your breath or you keep your thoughts to yourself. If you want something heard, you say it out loud. That's like basic science. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting worked up. The other one I can't stand is he was walking away. How could he eject him? He was walking away. Mike, you're married. Uh, you try saying something bad to your wife while you're walking away. Do you think that's going to go over well? I sure don't. No. I Absolutely. mean, those are things that drive me up the wall because if people just like thought about it for a second, like, wait, what did you just say? How, what sense does that make? So say whatever you want as long as you're walking away and you shouldn't respond to someone yelling at you or, or calling you out. I just, I pull my hair out. I don't have any left, but I pull my hair out over these things. We, 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 we don't, we don't have enough daylight to talk about this, <laughs> but I mean, to, to, I'm on the same boat. Nothing gets me more fired up than someone that thinks they know something when they've never done it. Don't, it's like, 
You don't know. They know what they're getting away with because they look like the good guy. Yeah. Okay. So he muttered something when he's walking away. Okay. Well, guess what? Now everyone thinks they can do that. Someone or you got to draw the line. And otherwise, these broadcasters, don't even get me started with the broadcast. Broadcasters, let me tell you something. Go do a, go do a month straight of officiating and then go back in the booth and let's see how your attitude changes. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, it baffles me when guys have no idea, wait, an ejection just happened? They didn't see something leading up to a situation for an inning and a half. Whereas you're on the field, everybody knows. I mean, think about it. Baseball is this kind of downtime sport. Everyone's sitting there just kind of watching and can hear everything. So that in itself, people see when things happen. Like a player, if you eject a guy, I remember a player ejected and then someone in the the end of the dugout, you could hear them. uh, Well, we saw that coming. Like, you know, and it was their own team. You know, so guys pay attention. Guys know what's going on. I just think guys in the booth or people in the stands don't. And, and that's unfortunate, whereas umpires always looked at these aggressors and guys that just want to eject everybody. And it's just not true because to your point, say there's 25 guys in each dugout, that's 50 guys, give or take, maybe 60 total, whatever. If you don't handle business when someone is mistreating you or mistreating the game or whatever, then everyone else knows they can do whatever they want as well. It's sad, but at times you got to I don't know, make an example of one person to be like, okay, that's the line. We can't cross that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they see the projective of a fan. They see about seven, what is it? Seven minutes and 45, seven minutes, 45 seconds of action in every baseball game. Or as an umpire, you got about, I don't know, 180 minutes of action because you got to keep an eye on what, what could be stirring up, mm-hmm. but they, they only see what, they only see what's between the lines. They don't see everything. It's just like you know, anything on the outside. You can take this into the police world. A lot of people won't take into effect what they see on the news because that's just the 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 middle of it. They don't see the beginning or the end. So that's the same. You can relate it to baseball. No one no one cares because what they were fed is all they're going to eat. Oh man, beautifully said, my friend. Uh, that is, man. Uh, yeah, that's that says it all, sums it all up really well. Um, let me ask you this, Mike. Towards the end of your career here in uh, baseball, it's 2018. You've worked for 10 years, and you know, as as exciting and you know, happy as you were to receive the call back in 09, what was it like getting that call in in 2018? Uh, for those that don't know professional baseball umpires it's just it just randomly happens one day well you kind of know it's the fall it's the off season but it's uh hey thanks for your service uh your time is up and that's all it is there's no reason or anything my phone call was a little different but uh, we don't have to get into that um but for you mike at the end of your career after investing so much time and pursuing this dream i mean not to be all negative here but i mean take me through the emotions there of what it was like to know that it was over it's, it's, it's a, I mean, at the end of the day, I know that when I, I missed, I missed two baseball games out of 10 years. Mm. So, you know, it's, uh, it sucked. I mean, I don't want to go on a soapbox. It's just, I wouldn't, I mean, I, I understand why people are bitter because you, you even think about this, you gave your heart and soul and, you know, it's just like they, and, and, my situation is a little bit different. It's like, I was told like, Oh, you got to work like this guy. You got to work like a or, 
or Kashopo, you got to get the fall league. I was all, well, you control those decisions. I just go work. I can go, I can tell you, I went to work. There was days I went to work hurt. There was days I went to work. Like I felt like I was going to die by mid game. And, but, but, but you know, this, like you didn't want to be that black cloud, not the black cloud, but that asterisk, like this guy will cut time off, you know, I, I, I remember this day that uh, Dusty, Dusty Dillinger sent me a text and it was like, I think I was the beginning of my AAA and he's just like, he called me a lunch pail umpire. He said, no matter what, you're coming to work, I you're, like bringing, you're bringing your lunch and you're going to get the job done. And, it, and, and I took a lot of respect into that. It's mm-hmm. just, the, the, I just wish they would just work, not like, it's 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 tough because it's just like just tell me I wasn't good enough I could live with that whether you're lying to me or not it's just like you weren't good enough for major league baseball the the quote that you hear often is uh or for what most guys hear is major league baseball is no longer interested and it's a vague statement but it's that way on purpose because I mean there's 45 guys in AAA maybe there's 60 you know whatever it is and every year there's one or two spots maybe and so for the rest of guys, they don't keep you in AAA forever. You're working three years and then probably, you know, getting released. So that's the nature of the business in, in minor league baseball that I don't think people understand. To me, anyone that worked minor league baseball and got to AAA, to me, I applaud them and I say, hey, man, you made it. That's at least my viewpoint of guys because getting to getting to AAA, you can control. Getting to the big leagues, you can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to look at it. Also, it's just – the way it, it was, you didn't see it behind the scenes, but the fall league was so like, you got to think about this. You got guys who already have their numbers are already, because the ultimate goal is to be a Rover. The Rover is they can keep you in the, they can keep you as long as they want. As soon as you go to the Rover, but you got to get that fall league invite, but there's only 12 guys who get invited. And usually about four to six of them are already Rovers. Yeah. So now, now you're looking at your, your, your puddle of, candidates and now you're choosing six out of 45 then you gotta tell me that like relationships or or whatever you want to call it or the buddy buddy system whether it exists or not is involved in those selections Mm -hmm. yeah who knows i mean it's an imperfect system we know this but at the same time mike you me Everyone, if they're honest, if they truly look at themselves and when they started this journey, you knew the potential outcome. And I think a lot of guys struggle with the ending of it all because they aren't aware or they don't truly believe that they're going to be like most everybody else and not make it. And you want to be hungry. You want to be humble to your point, but you got to, at the end of the day, know, Hey, this is what I I thought could eventually happen down the road. And it did. You're actually correct. But to caveat or be the devil's advocate, all they have to do is just give a small explanation. They don't, I mean, they're not, not entitled to, but it just be like, think about it. I mean, you give 10 years and it's just like, you're, we're no longer interested. Just tell me I did something wrong. I can, I can live with that. But, but the point is there that, you probably didn't do anything. That's what people, non-umpires need to understand. You probably didn't do anything wrong or you wouldn't have been around that long. They would have released you earlier. 
You probably yeah. didn't do anything wrong. It's just time has run out. And that's just True. the nature of pursuing the dream. And Mike, a huge reason why I was so inspired when I started looking around at all the guys and knowing all these guys are pursuing this dream that 1% of us are going are gonna to achieve. I was inspired by that. I was like, that is so admirable because how many people in this world can truly pursue a dream like that? And, and how many people would knowing that realistically, here's the chances of, of making it. So we all took our shot and it is what it is. Oh yeah. I mean, and one of the, one of the evaluators too was, uh, I forget his name, something with an R, Rapiano or something like that. He just said, you just got to enjoy being able to travel and getting paid to do it. That's it, man. That's it. And if you look back at the memories and the experiences, I wouldn't trade mine for the world. I mean, uh, some of them are as, or as crazy as a, as a 3 a.m. getting a snack at a gas station in the middle of nowhere or, you know, whatever, like there's wild moments that I I really wouldn't trade for anything. And uh, more than anything, Mike, the friendships, we didn't know each other before we got into this, uh, this walk of life. So for me, that's what I take from it. I have friends oh, yeah. all over the country now, all oh, yeah. over the country. Baseball, baseball has made me. If you look on TV, if you really look at the funny thing is too is a lot of these minor league cities are in a lot of those uh, those homicide shows. You know, it's like <laughs> you're like I umpired in Stockton, and they got like a homicide every other week and every other day, and then. You're right. and then and then you're working at a Texas league. And it's like, I was walking by, I was walking by the homicide division every day to go to the ballpark or go. <laughs> and it's like, God dang. Cops, <laughs> cops, the, the show. Yeah. And all these minor league yeah. cities. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But nah, the journey, the journey was great. And my only wisdom to anybody who wants to chase it, I would say do it, but just make sure to enjoy it. That's enjoy all. it, man. Enjoy it. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Um, after baseball, Mike, um, did you know right away that you wanted to go in law enforcement? What kind of guided your path into where you're presently at? It's, well, I mean, I was in a dark place for a little bit. Cause I mean, like, like you just said, like, you gotta, you gotta realize the, the, you, I was one of those guys that didn't think it was going to happen to me, but obviously that last year you could start reading the, the writing on the wall which was fine. But I mean, shoot, if you think about it, I was 33 years old and now I got to tell myself, all right, I'm a quarter away in my life and I got to restart it. Yeah, I know. So, so, you know, so I had to look at my thing. I had a good career going with Dick Sporting Goods at the time. And uh, I was like, but is this really what I really want to do? It's just, you know, you, you, the, the baseball side of it, you, you worked, you worked for hopefully only two hours a day, but <laughs> you know, it's just it, the great thing about baseball was you just never knew what was going to happen. You had a g- good idea, but you never, yeah, you, know, you never knew what was going to happen. So I always wanted to go in law enforcement. It was just the adrenaline rush and being able to not have to work a nine to five and just doing the same crap every day. So it, it so I, you know, I just ventured out to it and, and the, a lot of the uh, agencies, especially the uh, San Diego County Sheriff Department, were very intrigued because I had a different background. A lot of the guys that 
they hire our prior military. And now you got this guy who had 10 years in professional baseball in 10 situations, uh, quick decisions. Babysitting millionaires, as we often said. Yeah. Uh, the rat- <laughs> babysitting, babysitting rats. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, and it, it was great. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to know that now I actually have a foundation afterlife because minor league baseball, you didn't have a retirement or a pension. And let, cause like once you made spring training, your pension was gone, even though it was only a hundred bucks a year. Yeah. Gone. But now, now I got money waiting for me as soon as I want to retire because I got that pension. As you transitioned into law enforcement, I, I want to ask, it seems to make sense to me that a lot of umpires go into law enforcement or a lot of umpires or law enforcement guys are umpires on the side or whatever. But for you, what was kind of some things that helped you transition to law enforcement from your experience in minor league baseball? It was it, it, being it, the, you, have, you, have, you have to have thick, thick skin. Mm-hmm. You got to think about this. What's the difference between a manager and a criminal yelling at you? Is this a joke? No I'm joke. Just I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was like, what's this punchline? What's this going to be? I, I like it. But it, you got to think about it. It's just like that, like in a baseball game, you're going to make a decision and someone's not going to agree with it. Well, in law enforcement, you're going to have to do certain things or go to certain calls and you're going to have to dissect it all. And sometimes you're in result. They're not going to like it. Yeah. Someone's not going to be happy. The home team or the away team or some neutral guy is not going to like it. Right. Yeah. So the transition was a little bit, it was easy uh, because you know, it's, it, you just, you have a little bit more responsibility. You have a lethal weapon at your, on your hip at all times now. So but it's just, it's just like baseball. I called, I always thought us as umpires were like minor law enforcement anyway, because we held the integrity of the game that one of the, the baseball used to, used to be one of the most purest games in this, in this nation. But since technology, that's another topic. I, I for, agree. I agree with you a hundred percent where you're going with that. But it's just like, now it's just, I can, I can still be who I was but a different aspect and maybe, and maybe a little bit more fun and you, and you build a new family cause you have your baseball family. And now I have my law enforcement family and then I have my, my usual family on the outside, but it's just, it's a fun gig because you just, you you just don't know what's going to happen. Cause one day, one day you could be chilling and trying to figure out next day you're down a bunch of paper because a bunch of people ran havoc. So yeah, or in your you know experience, you're unfortunately uh, on the ground getting you know kicked around by a few guys. I mean, baseball is uh, l- let's make no mistake about it; it's a game. But what you're dealing with now, Mike, is you know unfortunately in some situations uh, life and death. I mean, law enforcement is far more uh, noble an act than baseball umpiring. I you know I will say, and and here at the podcast, I. Uh, I'm always a a proponent of of, uh, supporting law enforcement, especially in today's world, because there's this, the the one positive I'll say in the, the like attack on police, the war on police is that you see the pushback, you see the response. No, no, no. 
there's a plenty of people out there who are like, you know what? No, not to fund the police. Not all cops are evil. No, no, no. We love the police. And I'm definitely one of them. And I have a cop on here, a retired cop on, on my show every Wednesday. And we, we talk about uh, issues and things. So get home safe podcast is extremely law enforcement friendly. Uh, and I got to tell you or ask you, I mean, what is it like being in this business in 2021? It's tough, but you know, um, just like you taking that step to do a crazy dream that we did for so many years, there's, there's just a few of us and, and there's a few of us that's going to go toe the line to protect you while you sleep. And, you know, my whole thing is I want to help. I don't want to, I mean, obviously I'm going to enforce the laws, but just like baseball, you have this, this, the, the, the rule and the spirit of the rule. And then, in, and then in, in the real world, there's the law and there's a spirit of the law. Mm-hmm. And I think because of where social media is today and reporters, how they just want to get their ratings. It's just, you only see what they want you to see. Whereas we have so many of these, these situations that have happened where maybe the cop, some are, let me, before I remember, just want to, there are bad cops. There's bad lawyers. There's bad presidents. There's bad politicians. There's bad doctors. But a lot of the cops, I think, across the nation try to do their due diligence. And, and, it, and a lot of people are more scared than accepting because they always just think it's a, for a bad thing. If I pulled you over and it was a simple traffic violation and you were polite, maybe I let you go. But if you come off as an attitude, why should I let you go? You know? It, 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 the main the main thing is just like not don't just assume that we're all bad because I don't assume every person I see is a criminal. Yeah, and and, and I've been pulled over uh, not many times, but a few times, and you know, for you know, and some people will argue, well, you're not you're not me, I'm not you, whatever. But you know, I found that if you're polite, you're courteous. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Uh, do what you're told. Um, probably things don't, don't escalate. Now, have I, how I've gotten tickets when I was polite and courteous? Why? Yes, I have, because that doesn't always get you off, you know, get you off, uh, off the, whatever the phrase is. But I, I think my always plea to civilians, cause I'm a civilian, I'm not in law enforcement. My plea is that we need to do what we can control, do what we can control. We can control how we, how we treat law enforcement, how we, how we react. And we need to know that uh, they're under the microscope. I mean, there is no longer this, uh, I mean, you get, there's body cams, there's all kinds, everyone's got a phone now. There's, there's no longer this age of uh, cops can do whatever they want. Cause at one point, maybe that was the case, but we need to do what we can control so that law enforcement can do their job to the best of their ability. At least that's my take. Yeah. Well, and to piggyback what you're trying to say is, I think, is the society needs to be responsible for their own actions. Stop blaming everybody else. Start blaming yourself. Edu- educate your kids. Educate yourself. And, you know, it's once we can start learning to live together and stop placing blame on everything, 
and held, held, held you, hold yourself accountable, I think is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Hold yourself accountable, whatever you are, whether you're a cop or not, hold yourself accountable and we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think that's what I think that's the disconnect. I, I agree. I, and I think we'll take it outside of law enforcement. I think that in society today, there there is this always an excuse for something or there is a lack of accountability and I'm not talking about interactions with police. I'm just saying in general, it's like everyone has a cause or something else they want to uh, get involved in rather than the, you know, the essentials, Hey, go to work, raise your family, teach your kids. I mean uh, w- whatever the case is, I think there's like this excuse now in this changing of society that I'm not a fan of. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm a little old school in that sense and understand that, you know, hard work is, uh, will lead to a lot of great things. And again, controlling what we can control. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to tie back to your original question about 2021 is, and relating it back to baseball, when you put that uniform on on a baseball field, you're already hated. Mm. You put that uniform on in law enforcement, you either loved or you're hated. So it's, you know, it's, it, I understood. I understand what I'm, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, 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 tough mm-hmm. world out there right now. But as long as you do your thing and you stay within policy and, and you try to just be better and try to help make society better, whether if it's ever so small, you'll be just fine. Well said, man. Well said. Well, we've talked about a lot of, uh, you know, important issues, some uh, serious subject matter. Now we got to get into something that's, that's really big now, Mike, that, that, you know, we, we have both been itching here to talk about. And uh, I got to ask you, it's in reference to that yellow lightning bolt on your head and behind you there, the San Diego, Oh, I'm sorry. The Los Angeles chargers, Mike, I don't mean, there you go. Hey, I got, I got mine back here. We could, bash heads all we want the the uh the two la teams no i in all seriousness i know what it's like mike to have a team that i loved that was here in my backyard leave me as a kid i was young nine years old my rams left me to another state your team didn't go to another state they just went up the five freeway but what has it meant for you and your san diego charger fans for the chargers you love to go up to that dreaded los angeles well, <laughs> if, if you, it was another, it's just the, something you saw right on the wall when you have an owner that's uh, dumb and, <laughs> and lighter words, but you know, we don't, we all don't have an owner like you, you guys who can pretty much buy a damn state, but <laughs> we love it, Stan, it, Stan, the man. Yes. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was, I mean, I have a little bit different and why I'm still a fan. Um, we had we had family season tickets in 1977, and then I think when I got to the Cal League, we had to stop them because my dad was getting ill. And when I lost my father in 2013, um, you know that Qualcomm Qualcomm was I saw a lot of games with my dad there. So you know I just feel like to to do something and restart with another team, even if they moved up, I probably will never watch a game up there because I still think of them as the San Diego chargers, but I will, I do support them obviously, but uh, it's just, 
it's just it's it, it's it gets back to this this business side of it like yeah. you know you know everyone wants to make more and more money but you know you, you even though san diego came off as a fair weather city which it is but it's not because we have a good fan base we had a bunch of people from orange county come to san diego because i'm going to tell you this right now when you were a rams fan for as long as you were when and, and even when they left you when they came to San Diego, where did you want to watch a game? San, San Diego. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was there. I was there the last time they, they played in San Diego. It was awesome. Rams and, fans everywhere. And, and, but that's how it's always going to be because who the hell looks, they look at a schedule and, and you say, Oh, I'm a Kansas city fan. It's colder and, and, <laughs> and whatever. I want to go to San Diego and watch them. Yeah. You want to go to Buffalo? No. How about San Diego, California in, in November? Yeah. It's 85 degrees and gorgeous. It, it sucks. It sucks, Matt. But you know, you've been, you've been behind helping with Fox sports and you see how it works. But I thought, and I still think today that the NFL just made a massive, massive mistake. Oh, I, I, I am. I, I, for one, Look at San Diego wasn't far from us up here. And you know, yeah, we got two of everything in LA, which is kind of over overkill. But I think the Chargers are the Chargers are San Diego. For them to leave, that's a hundred miles, I know, but they're the San Diego Chargers. I don't care where they play. They are the San Diego Chargers, man. And uh the history they have there. Uh, I'll say about their owner. Yeah, the, the Rams, I understand Kroenke, he spends money. Uh what I did not like is when the chargers just kind of piggybacked and like, Hey, can we play here too? That I don't like. And, and that's ridiculous. The the fact that they could not get a stadium built. Um, you know, by the way, how is the GoFundMe page for, uh, for your owner, uh, owner going? Cause he seems to not be able to pay his bills, even though he's what uh, a billionaire. Yeah. Well, he's actually the, the brokest of, I think the 32 teams, to be honest with you, I think, I think only, uh, Al Davis, junior or his son i forget his first name off the top of my head but he's might be the more more broke but i just don't get like i mean we can i mean talking football just like as an owner being a renter i mean cronky cronky's making money on top of money right now he's got an idiot who (laughs) who, who's like oh i'll stay here but even though it's not i i'll have to borrow a, a owner's box but God, it's just like you just look at it. So you just, I mean, I came and it's, it's yeah. so stupid. I can't even talk about it. I mean, the Raiders build a new stadium in Vegas. The Rams build a new stadium in Los Angeles. My vision is that in five years, 10 years, the Chargers are back in San Diego with a brand new state of the art stadium. And we have the three best stadiums in America right here on the West Coast. That's my vision, Mike. And uh, I mean, I went to a Charger playoff game just because I hadn't been to an NFL game in forever. And I remember they were playing the Jets, the Mark Sanchez-led Jets, and I went to that game, and that was a great experience. Didn't love Qualcomm so much, but just being there, I was like, man. Char-. And then when they moved, I was like, the Chargers need to be in San Diego, man. Well, it was it was a it was almost kind of like a cancer, Matt. If you if you looked at it, <laughs> I mean, how much money did he really put into the stadium? Oh, who he knows? didn't. But the fans were getting the fans were kind of just getting over it. I mean, we have a lot, we have a big fan base down here, but when your owner turns your back on you, why are you going to go put money in his pocket? Yeah. No doubt about it. It sucks, but you know, enough's enough. It's tough rooting for a team that's not in your city. Now here in Los Angeles, 
sure it's the same in, in uh, San Diego. I mean, I just, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an epidemic of, of football fans from all over the country. I got people wearing Dodger hats, uh, Laker hats, and then a San Francisco 49er Jersey. And I'm like, you're rooting for a team from San Francisco. Like you're rooting for a team from Dallas. Like, I don't know, pick Phoenix or something, but you can't root for a team that's from the city you hate at, at the same. I don't know. It drives me absolutely up the wall. I wear my Ram stuff proudly. I couldn't be happier. They're back in Los Angeles where they belong. LA's first professional sports team. I always have to remind people of that, but well, uh, I feel for you, man. Thank you for the defensive coordinator as a head coach though. I really applaud you on that. You're going to like coach Staley. I know he's, he's, he's fantastic. I was just listening. Um, he's got that, he's got that fire and young energy and I like it. Well, and, and then really, being really in, the like AFC, in the AFC West, you better play some defense when you're facing Patrick Mahomes twice, uh, the Raiders and John Gruden, you know, they're going to always be tough. So, uh, I think the chargers build around their defense a little bit. Like uh, I'm sure he has planned. They're, they're going to be okay. I, I think the chargers, honestly, I love Justin Herbert. I think the chargers surprise people this upcoming season and they go to the playoffs. I think so too, but I think, but you also have to understand this. You had an offensive rookie of the year behind one of the worst, the worst offensive lines in the league. <laughs> and, 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 and a lot of people too, is just like, I'm not just, a bandwagon jumping on Herbert because he's my quarterback. But if you look at the stats last year, and I'm sure you have, he's a dude, man. He, well, he led, he led these three quarterbacks in the fourth quarter, Mahomes, Brady, Brees. in back to back to back weeks. Yeah. This guy's, this guy's the winner. I mean, I was saying it when I was saying when I saw him when I saw him play in Kansas City, I was I was dumbfounded and I was like, "What is going on?" I still don't believe it to this day, and <laughs> and I tell and I told one of my Raider uh, colleague buddies at work, and I was like, "He's a Ra- big Raider fan." I always talk shit to him because I hate the Raiders, but uh, <laughs> it's like I was like, "Hey, listen, hey, listen, this this story." This story reminds me of Drew Bledsoe and Brady. I'm not comparing them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing Herbert to Brady, but it's Bledsoe similar. got hurt. Bledsoe got hurt, and Brady came in and never gave the reins back. So yeah. we're gonna see. You know, the sophomore season will give it to us, but the guys, the guys, the guys kept us in games. And if he does have a hiccup season, hey, he had to change coaches. That matters. But I think if you look at Justin Herbert in the in year in his first five years, I think everyone's going to be impressed and he's definitely the future of the franchise. So um, man, Mike, I know, I know you love your, your chargers. I, I, you're, you're the, I see the logo. And you're the first guy I always think about, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> Mike, this has been fun, man. We've caught up. We've talked a lot of baseball, uh, football, kind of law enforcement and minor league umpiring. I mean, we've kind of uh, touched on it all. It's been so much fun catching up. I really hope the next time I see you is not a podcast. Maybe we're together uh, sharing a cold one or something. Yeah, absolutely. I'm about to come up there and, uh, you know, go, 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 go hand on hand. Maybe go talk about some uh, fancy football or something. So <laughs> I got, I got on another podcast, I'll talk about it, but I still have my, I still have a 2004 league that I run. It's just been, it's been a, it's been a grind, but it's fun. It's fun to fun to do that. Awesome stuff, man. Well, we will have you back uh, maybe before the football season to break down the the Chargers and the AFC West or something. But, man, it's been uh, so much fun, Mike. I look forward to uh, seeing you down the road, man. 
All right, you too, brother. Have a good one. Thanks for the memories. Thanks for the stories. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon, my friend. Be well. Be well, brother. Bye now. Later. Well, a big thank you to Mike Kashopa for joining us today on the Get Home Safe podcast. I was uh, so exciting, excited to chat with him. And uh, man, what a blast that was touching on uh, so many different stories. Glad he's doing well after the incident there in February and uh, looking forward to chatting with him again soon. Guys, as always, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. We greatly appreciate the support. We know we have a lot of loyal listeners out there, but we always want to keep people informed of the many ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have various social media platforms. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. There's plenty of ways and options to listen to the Get Home Safe podcast. Anchor helps distribute our podcast to places like Apple, Spotify, Google, and many more. We also have a YouTube channel that is brand new for us. Not a whole lot of content on there yet, but we're going to try to put out more and more video episodes in going forward, as well as short clips here and there regarding uh, big events that happen uh, over the course of time. So lots of options out there, guys. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, offer uh, some suggestions or content uh, topics, or uh, just ask us some random questions. We always appreciate that. I know Bill Barnes does, especially on Wednesdays. So uh, looking forward to continue to bring you great episodes here on the Get Home Safe podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Guys, have a great rest of the week. And as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.